Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to the 257th episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton of Waterfront Windsors, and I'm here with my co-host, Sean Wisniewski of The Corner Workshop. This morning, we're visiting with the accomplished artist and woodworker, Danielle Rose Bird. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you guys? Good. All right. Good. Doing well. I think, yeah, mind, I think I should mind mention. Mind my chewing. I'm having breakfast. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, we are recording in the morning, so uh, that's a little unusual for us. And uh, Diami can't be with us uh, this morning, but uh, he sends his regards. Um, but why don't we say we get started? So um, things that piqued our interest around the community. Um, I just have one, and that was a delivery I got yesterday of the uh, Caleb James uh, spoke shaves. I got both the standard spoke shave and the uh, small round bottom spoke shave. So I think the uh, the round bottom, yeah, the round bottoms in persimmon, and the um, standard spoke shave is in apricot, and they're absolutely gorgeous. I've been wanting one of those. Mm-hmm. I don't have one. And of course I've tried them at many woodworking shows and I just, mm-hmm. I just haven't gotten there yet, but it's on my list. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so other, was... other than aesthetics, is there anything to the wood that, that he uses? I mean, they're beautiful. I'd take yes. nothing away from that, but is there a, is there a feel an appeal, a strength or something to, to what he's making them out of? I don't, think so um he has some boxwood for the um um a little band of boxwood ahead of the blade to kind of you know protect that okay. area okay. that's but, on purpose strength. yeah that's on purpose but i think the rest of it is just you know the aesthetic beauty of that particular wood now you know okay. they're all strong strong yeah. woods i i have a curly maple bow saw it's, it's just yes. pretty <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's it but uh yeah i was working on other stuff i didn't i did make a couple of uh, shavings uh, with them yesterday, but nothing, nothing more than you know. I spent like five minutes. Boom, boom, boom. And so, uh, do do you have other spoke shaves? I mean, for your yeah. chair making and stuff. So th- this is an upgrade in 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 that tool set. Basically. I don't know if it's an upgrade. It's just a, another tool in the arsenal. Okay. Um, you know, I don't think I think uh, for a lot of tasks, um, I'll still be using you know my Veritas spoke shaves, and that's, like, uh, that's the one I have. Yeah, and I think for, um, but for, you know, some more intricate, delicate work, getting into tight curves, um, working in grain, I'll probably um, go, uh, probably use these these new spoke shades from Caleb. Um, but yeah, I have, a, I don't know, how many spoke shades do I have? Seven or eight, something like oh. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's about what I have too, actually. Okay. That's okay, what you yeah. do, work for Lee Nielsen for a little while. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. And I, I take it back. I don't have the Veritas. I do have the Lee Nielsen. Um, mm-hmm. I can't see it. It's in the drawer over there. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's, there is a legitimate need for a few because they can attack a higher, lower yep. angle, you know, round bottoms, obviously, that, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, seven or eight. Uh. <laughs> I'll tell well, you, even, th- like, I have actually three of the flat bogs. And I keep them mm. all sharp. And I thought I was initially teaching with them, and I thought, "Wow, this is really overkill." 
maybe I should sell some. And then I found that having all three sharp and then as soon as one isn't giving me exactly the kind of shaving I want, mm-hmm. I go to the next one. Wow. And it's actually so helpful. I thought it would just be, you know, just complete overkill. And um, and it's really been so, so nice. And I never would have done that. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, it may be not overkill. It's you're spoiled in that way. Yes, that yeah, you ha- you can spoil. reach for that. I mean, it's different. <laughs> that, you know, Diami's got a baker's dozen or more routers, and there's a case where you can have them all set up differently. This is where they're set up identically, and you just have multiples to say yeah. for that reason. I'm like, I'm in it. I don't need to stop and sharpen, but I can grab this other one and pull it in. That's yeah. I mean, nice. there, there there is a downside because eventually you have to stop, and then you got to sharpen all of them. all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is very true. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and I have I have one that's uh, completely round. I think uh, it's a Stanley. I forgot what the number is, but it's pretty unique. But um, it's just nice to have and look at. I've yet to be able to get any wispy shavings off of it. I'll hog some material off, but hmm. I don't know. Most people say it's practically useless, but it is kind of cute. <laughs> what was that? Is it one of those like little cigar shades? No, it's not a cigar shave. It's a little bit bigger than that. Um, but it's round. It has two wood handles. In fact, you can take the handles off, and one of them you can put behind it. So it's kind of the handles are in like a T configuration. Hmm. It's it's kind of interesting, I, um, but it's uh, completely round. I saw it. Where did I pick it up? I picked it up at, um, oh, I can't think of the name of the shop, but it's the uh, old... Uh, a tool shop above uh, Roy's uh, class mm. there in North Carolina. But I was in there and I picked it up there. So mm. it's it's kind of neat to play with. Um, I never really spent a whole bunch of time with it. I probably need to and see if I can get some, some nice shavings off of it. But everybody I've talked to say, yeah, those are kind of cute, but they're kind of useless too. So <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have. But with that, um, let's move on to what's in the shop. Yeah. So, so for me, um, you know, I've been building this rocker and as I'm building this rocker, I was, uh, reviewing some, I, I was doing the post. So I reviewed, uh, it's a Pete Galbert rocker and I was reviewing uh, Pete's technique to set the post and I'll go, you know, I think, uh, Curtis has a YouTube video on posts. Let me go review that because setting these back posts are really critical because you're basically trying to get the tops of them at a certain point, you know, what, uh-huh. 25 inches above the chair and you want to get those in a certain point. So you really got to be real careful with your reaming and, I had lasers on it and the whole nine yards, but anyway, which I found helped tremendously. But I was reviewing the video and um, with Curtis, Curtis's video, and he came out with this drilling jig that I'd seen before for drilling the um, the hole in the post for the arm to go into. So this is actually an armchair. So it's got two posts to support the arm at the front, and then the arms go into the back of the post. And he pulled out this little drilling jig to do that. And um, it was basically a a little base piece that went into where the post for the arm went. And it had a little rod that came up and wooden rod that had holes drilled into it at an angle. And then you would put your drill bit extension through that hole and into the arm. And I went, that's pretty interesting. And I'd seen it before, but it never really registered. And then I said, wait, I had an epiphany about an idea 
So I basically came out with a new drilling jig for Windsor chairs. I I was going to ask. I mean, if that is your yeah. invention, in mm-hmm. a way, it's your own twist on maybe a, a, an other idea. Yeah. That seems slick. It it is uh, it's going towards precision, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, and in that way, it's a helping hand, you know, yeah. to help you get that precision. But it it seems really cool. What what is that bearing? block thing that you've that you're using it's called a rod end bearing so as soon as as soon as i saw that i and it's used a lot in the automotive industry and um some other things but it's basically where you got a a shaft that's maybe a little bit misaligned so you need a bearing that can kind of swivel Mm -hmm. to catch that shaft. well um and i've never dealt with them before but within, I had the idea, I go, there's got to be something like that. And because I'd seen something like that, I didn't know what it was called. But within about, I want to say less than a minute of Googling, <laughs> I found exactly what I wanted. And uh, then, I, then I ordered a couple of them. And uh, both of them worked tremendously well. Um, so, you know, that's kind of my own little spin to it. But I kind of cobbled together a little jig. And, yeah, it's really simple because basically this jig takes the place of the leg or arm post or whatever you have and fits mm-hmm. into that mortise. And basically you just got to set the height of it and then you can drill straight on. Yeah, and, and that's you're supporting in the middle, guiding from the middle. So right. Where traditionally you'd be just pushing from the back of the bit in, mm-hmm. aligning is incredibly hard because you're looking from one point. Now you kind of have a midpoint to yeah. guide. Yeah, and, and your uh, alignment is, is basically done for you. Um, yeah. And all you have to really, really uh, pay attention to is just stopping your drill when you get to the right depth. So, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so, you know, I'm looking at it. I have come up, you know, I cobbled something together. It seemed, it worked fine. Um, but of course I've come up with a number of improvements. So I, you know, patent pending, man, patent pending. Yeah. Some I can sell maybe. Um, yeah. My first thing is, is I've improved the jig and, uh, and I got a lot of great response to it and, uh, I'm going to send it to a, uh, to, um, a friend of the show, let's say to, uh, who's a chair maker to uh, test it out. He's built far more chairs than I have. So, um, but he seemed really interested in it. So I'm going to let him uh, test it out and see what he thinks. But, you know, I think for the, I guess, more hobbyist chair maker like myself, it's really easy to set up. And I think for, you know, your more professional chair maker, it could also be a benefit because it's real simple to set up. It's easy to set up and you're spot on. And if all your, um, stretchers say in your legs are out are all at the same height then it's boom 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 you can do box stretchers h stretchers i think it's going to be uh could be a game changer we'll see that's awesome yeah who said there's no new tricks exactly exactly come on anyway so when 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 when, uh when you know some some folks like uh tim manning commented and goes that's clever (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you, you you did something that's that's awesome I mean, so. it, you'll 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 still have the traditionalists to say no, no, no. I mean, this is a this is a honing jig, honing jig for sharpening. If you can't do it yeah. freehand, you're not doing it right, kind of thing. But uh, there's there's a big market for for needing that extra helping hand for sure. Well, 
maybe a small market. I mean, we're I mean, yeah, it's like Windsor, yeah, Windsor chair makers are, I guess, a, a bit of a niche, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but of those, and you know, that that's and truly, I mean, you you might have solved a problem that everyone has that does that. That's yeah. pretty pretty done, nicely done. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. One of, one of the interesting aspects that I also stumbled on from, um, um, I guess, uh, Jenny Alexander's um, video for making a chair from a tree is uh, she'd come up with this uh, nice little jig to mark the center points of um, legs and stuff for drilling. And I went, you know, I could use that jig with that little device because basically you got a rod pointing straight at the other leg. And if you got a little bird's mouth um, piece of wood resting on that rod, you can mark directly the center line. Right. So, right. Huh. so uh, I, I, that's why I was doing all day yesterday was perfecting that. So, <laughs> Well done. That's anyway, so cool. we'll, we'll see what comes of it. Um, you know, for listeners, I got some posts out there on Instagram. Probably by the time this post, I'll have a... Uh, this episode post, I'll have some more out there too. So, very cool. Anyway, well, that's, so that's way more interesting than what what I got going on because all of my free time, other than my running uh, that I do in the mornings, I've been cleaning up this damn tree that fell down in my backyard. And uh, oh so, yeah, yeah. So it, I lost half of it. It of the V, the one side of the V fell down, and that was one weekend. And then the mm. next weekend, as I was going, I went out there to clean it up. I said, eh, I'm going to take the rest of that down. Uh, which subsequently killed another section of fence when it came down. And I've got poison ivy on my shoulder blade from digging in to clean it up. Uh, like, it's a weird, I have a straight line of, like, a leaf went right down my back. It's the weird, the weirdest thing. And it's, it's, it's in a place where I I can't get to it. So it's actually okay. It itches, but I, I'm not doing much with it, but, um, (laughs) But yeah, I'm making a lot of sawdust, cutting up logs. Like, what did you do to that tree? Like, no, no, it uh, it was an old, and it, looking at it, we think it is box elder, and mm. it just tore itself in half. And when I when I took down the standing, the side that was still standing, it had two major branches, one of which was grayed out and dead, and the other which when the other side fell off, I could see the root was more of a crescent shape. It wasn't round where it was coming into the stump. And so I notched it to fall into my yard and I went on the backside and I let it go and it tore itself out about a six inch wide piece. It just twisted off itself. It was, it was sick. It was very sick Uh, Mm -hmm. or, or ant ridden at that point. And so cutting that up, I was finding sections of it that were completely hollow, which was really weird. But like, Six feet yep. up, but not ten feet up. There was a section that was hollow in it, that some mm. some branch or something had come in and just eaten it out. Um, it, and it's all of it's really punky. I mean, it was one of those situations where once that one side fell, I knew the other side wasn't going to last too long, so I took it upon myself to bring it bring it down. And now that's that's the total back end of my yard, and it's getting a lot more sun. It's amazing. Huh. Was there any useful wood in this? It it's really not. It's so yeah. punky. Yeah. Um and and the but the the other sections and I still have some sections that are probably six inch in diameter that I still need to get that's right like it's in a field of poison ivy on my neighbor's side. Um that I need to kill that before I get into it. But it um I, I don't know. I I I have 
you know, standard kind of log sections taken out of it, I might try to save one and see what I can do, split it into, derive it down in, into something and see see some of the healthy sections that I can do something with it. But so you know, really, just probably firewood. It's um, it's not in a great, it's not a great tree. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's what I sweat with tools. That's just what I do. <laughs> uh, it's a good time in the middle of the summer for that to happen. But yeah. I wear a big hat and just stay yeah. hydrated. Anyway, how about you, Danielle? <laughs> Anything better than that? I'm sure. Um, what you been working? I have been working on some bowls, of course. Some of some mm. more of those creature bowls of that series, and. I love those things. Thank you. I I am really feeling them. You know, sometimes you just yeah. You just there's a certain something with a particular project, and that has the certain something where I I'm I'm trying to practice patience because I can feel myself getting carried away in ways that aren't very fruitful. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm trying to pace myself a little bit. So I've been also gluing up some panels to do some more carved panel work because I really, really want to get more into that and sort of get into wall art and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and really stretch the boundaries of that as well. So I've been trying to pace myself on the creature bowls by sort of going over back into the <laughs> into the <laughs> the other super creative thing um, so that I can fully appreciate and like really ruminate on what I've already done with the creature bowls. Because I have a yeah. few more blanks that I really want to, I really want to nail. Like I have a few ideas, and I could see myself getting like too much momentum where I where I was just gonna. It was too much, too much of a good thing. Um, <laughs> all could, creature bowls all the time. Just <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You know, sometimes you really need well, to like burn it to the ground in order for it to like rise yeah. up. But that was just like burning for the sake of of. Of, I don't know what, but it wasn't good. Um. <laughs> well, 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 they're they're so cool. Um, they remind me of. Are you familiar with tardigrades? Yes, and that is what I hear a lot because it looks yeah. exactly like them. Yeah, and it I, does. I really love that sort of. Um, I'm so captivated slash disgusted. Like I really <laughs> love that dynamic of like loving something but also being kind of grossed out by it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think. Are you familiar with Stranger Things? Yes. Oh, yeah. I think you, if you could get a tie-in with that show with those bowls. Uh huh. <laughs> I have um, been really exploring sort of um, the possibilities with any sort of like animation and mm-hmm. short film things that I could do with these. I really see it as like an interactive. Um, there's there's just a lot of possibilities. I feel like with stop motion animation too is something I've been thinking about with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And for what end, I don't know more just to like um, fulfill some other weird creative thing that doesn't have like like really have any sort of true end. Um, It's just like what I envision. I, there's just so much movement in them anyway that I feel like bringing them over into stop motion or into like little short films or they're also made with a lot of humor and so I feel mm-hmm. like that I can play into a little bit more of that and sort of there's almost a narrative behind it that I feel like I can tell a little bit more with filmmaking or something in a different media. Yeah, they're absolutely wonderful. 
Well, well, let's let's back up just a little bit. So, so tell us a little bit about your your background. How did you get in? How did you wind up getting into to uh, doing the doing this in in wood, so to speak? <laughs> a very long and winding road. Uh, <laughs> I and this is probably going to get into like five questions later on, but I, yeah. Um, it it was I originally went to school actually to study medicine and. I moved to New York 10 days before September 11th happened. Um, really impeccable timing. Yes. And I'm, I'm originally from Western Maine, so a very rural area. And, mm-hmm. you know, this was like a big city move for me. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a surgeon and I'm going to go and move to the, the big city and check it out. And then that happened. And I was like, and maybe I'll move back. <laughs> um, maybe I'll come back to Maine. Um and I stuck out the year there, and I came back, and the school that I applied to ended up closing their on res uh, their uh, on campus program two weeks after I got in. Oh. And I'm like, okay, these are all signs. These like just keep yeah. going, just keep swimming. Um, and then I ended up going to a school in Bar Harbor, where I live now, Bar Harbor, Maine. Beautiful, um, beautiful sound. It's gorgeous, and mm. it's College of the Atlantic, and it's a primarily an environmental school, but it's also just interdisciplinary. It's very self-directed. So there aren't a lot of rules. There is no true, um, there are concentrations, but Mm -hmm. everyone um, ends up studying what's called human ecology, which is basically a fancy term for interdisciplinary studies. So they let me study whatever I wanted to. Um, and that's how I really got into woodworking because I was able to explore different things. They didn't have a, a program per se. Um, but I grew up with a father who was a carpenter and who dabbled in, in like clay sculpture, just as like a fun thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a great shop class in middle school because I grew up in sort of a, um, an industrial paper mill town area. And so there was a lot of like feeder programs to the trades and, um, and so I started sort of discovering, I studied music at College of the Atlantic, oddly enough, because they let me. I'd never done it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're going to let me do this? Okay. And and then eventually got into like junk sculpture and junk um, instrumentation and then really into like musical playgrounds. I mean, I was going, I, it's not atypical for me, just like mm-hmm. hitting every tangent possible. And then... Well- well, that makes some sense because after following following you for a few years, and it, you know, it's obvious that music plays an important part in your life. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and it's yeah. been more so in the past year or so. I kind of came back to it, mm-hmm. uh, but that's originally what I studied, and then I started building sort of weird little instruments. And I had no money in college. I'm talking like no money. Um, and kids were going off and doing like internships or wherever. I didn't have money to travel even or to like leave my current circumstance. So I was like, well, what can I do here, like on campus? And they had this burn pile. They've been redoing a building or doing renovations or something. And I started sifting through the burn pile and I found all these random wooden parts. And I was like, okay, so this is going to be, I'm going to make a class for myself, which was also an option at COA where you could say, if you had an idea, come up with a proposal, tell me who's going to help you with it, and then, boom, you've got a class. And and they let us do that. And so, <laughs> <laughs> ah, 
Um, thankfully so, because that's pretty much, I started cobbled together the things that I couldn't find already there. Mm -hmm. And, and, and also, I mean, kids that are resourceful are naturally drawn to that, but it also creates a different kind of resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. Um, You start questioning like, okay, well, what can I do? What are the limits? And when people are just telling you, yes, then you're like, okay, yes, let's do it. Um, and sometimes you'd fail miserably or wonderfully. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and so I built a, like this very atonal, strange sort of like mandolin fiddle-esque instrument. And then while I was doing that, I carved a spoon, um, with like a really cheap, absolutely not ever sharpened or attempted to be sharpened <laughs> with a lot of sanding. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2004 or five and kind of made a few here and there and then just started accumulating like random tools in a quite literally a cardboard box that was falling apart just from like apartment to apartment to apartment not really knowing what I was going to do with them but knowing that this was something I mean clearly there was a reason I kept carrying it with me Mm -hmm. Um, and then I just kept going and I worked in restaurant jobs I was paying off student loans for like 15 years and um and then eventually got to the point where I felt like I could quit one of them. And I decided I never, ever got weekends off, you know, because I was just working all the time. And so I finally was able to go to this thing called the Lee Nielsen Open House. <laughs> <laughs> I chose wisely. And, yes. and, um, and maybe two months later, I was doing my first woodworking show, um, working with them and showing tools and, and mind you, behind the scenes this whole time, I wasn't, it was always in the back burner. I was always reading and, and going to the library and ILLing books and just finding articles and magazines and just soaking up as much as I could. So I didn't realize like how much I actually knew without having the opportunity to actually do any of it. Um, and that's where I started to play catch up is when I, I realized there was, had this opportunity with Lee Nielsen and was like, give me the opportunity to catch up and, and I'll, I'll do what I can. And I did. Um, and I, I think I kind of always find myself in that deep end. I, I gravitate towards it where I just jump in. And if I'm not scared, then I'm probably doing something wrong. Well, well, that's fascinating. Um, uh, just all about that. I mean, I, I think, uh, that's, I think you're very fortunate to go to that school because starting your own class and building your own thing. I mean, that, like you said, you can fail spectacularly, but uh, also teaches you a certain amount of responsibility. Hey, I got to, I had this idea. Now I got to see it all the way through. Definitely. There's accountability. 100%. Yeah. So, so with that, and you know, I want to say over the past three, maybe four years now, now you've started, like you said, you started with the uh, Lee Nielsen Open House, and, and that got you in there. But you've also been featured in several uh, magazines now, and uh, in fact, uh, you have your own own video there on Final Woodworking's website, which is kind of like a uh, compliment to your art last article in the magazine. Definitely, definitely. Um, and that was was on uh, Shrink Pots, right? It was that yeah. one was on Shrink Pots, both the video and the article. Yep. And are you I- still? Are you still making string pots? Um, I haven't in a while. I've actually Mm -hmm. been pulling away a little bit from more traditional um, Mm -hmm. forms and methods 
trying to expand a little bit, still keeping completely that the base of green woodworking, but not always necessarily using green wood. Um, and then when I am using green wood, trying to expand beyond the, the typical traditional methods and tools. So well, bringing in like power carving and electric chainsaws and <laughs> well. Well, I wish Diami was here because he's a big advocate of power carving. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yes, he has everything Arbortex ever made. I only have maybe three of their things. Yes, only, <laughs> only three. Only three. You feel like it's a rabbit hole. Once you get one, you're like, and eh, what else do they make? And bye, 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 bye. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so are you? So. So these um, creature bowls, are you using any power carving techniques on that, or, or is it purely uh, green woodworking with knives and adzes and stuff? Well, it's a mixture, and everyone is kind of different. Um, the first one I did with completely with hand tools, mostly because I wanted to understand the relationship of there's so many compound angles there and so many intersecting pieces mm -hmm. That I feel like I did it in clay first, which I do a lot because oh I really should, yeah it helps so much mm -hmm. uh, and and I still didn't feel like I could understand how that related to what tools I was using and if I were to power carve part of it mm -hmm. how I'd have to do that without really you know kicking myself in the foot shooting myself in the foot kicking myself <laughs> in the foot. that would be impressive um, that would just one to the other I guess. Um, and so the first one I did all with hand tools. And once I felt like I had a grasp of what I, what the gist was, cause I knew that this, I wanted to do a series. Mm -hmm. Um, I started using the Arbortech power chisel, um, to do a lot of the clearing away. And, okay. Oh, that, that saved my hands like unbelievably. So sort of a trade off though. Cause then you have the vibrational aspect. Um, yeah which is not great on the hands, but it's a lot shorter than if I were to do that purely with a mountain gouge or what have you. Um, and then sometimes the, the, the little mini electric chainsaw will make an appearance. Um, mm -hmm. That's mostly on the end caps because doing that kind of work, especially with, you can sort of, especially that last one I did with the legs come out, you can't right. get the angles that you need. Um, and you'd be compromising, like, physical well-being <laughs> in order to get it. Like, that's sort of where I draw the line where I'm like, I really hurt. And not only do I really hurt, but unnecessarily. Right. So, and that's when I feel like the line gets drawn with power carving. And also when I'm just saving oodles of time in my hands. And um, so that was really the impetus for, for moving over originally. And now it's become more of a creative thing where I'm like, ooh, what? what can I do now? Because mm -hmm. at times it is limiting and, and other times much more expansive. Well, you mentioned something earlier that you do a lot of this modeling in clay. So do you ever fire these pieces? No, although I did take a ceramics class. It was, it was like mm -hmm. a sort of like an adult ed. I mean, I live on an Island in Maine to give people sort of um, a little bit of the scope here. So there's not a lot going on in the winters, but they had like this adult ed class um, that I took at the high school where I was able to do, to dab on a little bit in ceramics, which is always, if I feel like I were to pick something else up, that would 100% be it. Um, I'm just so envious of how quickly you can come up with a shape and mm -hmm. then be like, 
I don't like this, it's going to turn into a ball again. Like I, I like, I can't, it's just so freeing to know that right. you can go back and not only go back, but use the same material again and be like, start over. Um, <laughs> you know, like that's just incredible to me working in wood, which is so uncompromising. Um, but I haven't fired any of these things. This is mostly just, it's like a purely for modeling and just getting ideas for new shapes. So I don't have to make those mistakes in wood. Right. Right. That make that, that makes perfect sense. So, um, so you said you're primarily working in greenwood, but you're maybe looking at other things. I am. So that mm -hmm. the, the carved panels are mm -hmm. you know, obviously in dried lumber. Right. Um, it's also a lot easier to get, especially up here. Another sort of limitation with the greenwood is that you think, oh, Maine, you know, it's everywhere. Um, but, <laughs> but Whole forest of it. <laughs> where I live specifically, you know, is with greenwood, you start to get like a radius of like where it starts to make, how far away it starts to make sense to mm -hmm. harvest wood from. Um, I don't have a trailer as of yet. I do have a truck. And so it, it makes it a little difficult going a, a longer distance. Um, but also I live on an island with a national park. So there's a lot of federal land and a lot of privately owned land. Right. So I don't have as much of the like, ask around. Um, I do have an arborist friend who's been very kind to me. Um, and that relationship has definitely saved me a few times. But it's becoming increasingly more difficult to keep a continuous supply um, at the right time that I need it because I can't just have, you know, I can't like dry lumber. I can't just have a bunch of it, make them one big run and then, and then use it gradually. I have to sort of get it in chunks. Mm -hmm. It's it really difficult and extremely inefficient. And so I started to branch out so that I can sort of, when Greenwood comes along, I can grab it up and use it. And then having these other projects sort of on the side that are using air dried lumber or kiln dried lumber um, and still getting out sort of my creative ideas in a different way. It's also a different market really. Um, so it opens it up in a, in a variety of different ways. And I've also been moving into larger sculptural things and that's really, I've barely touched that. I have sort of the wood here and I've got my power carving tools and this little station outside of my shop that um, I hope to, to do more large form sculptural things with. So I'm trying to branch out into a few different things right now. Mm -hmm. Now, do you ever make strict furniture, so to speak? And I know you've posted some stuff of some things that you've made in the past, but um, are you primarily in the sculptural bowl uh, wall art stage or are there any, you know, opportunities or any needs that you actually uh, build furniture? I haven't in a long time. And mm -hmm. honestly, the only thing I can see myself doing is for my own home or for friends. Mm -hmm. It's just not, I thought it was something that was calling to me and, and I really enjoy it. Obviously. I mean, I was in that world for a little while and I mm -hmm. love tools and I, everything is, um, is extremely appealing, but when it gets down to it in terms of doing it day to day, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. It didn't have enough curves and it didn't have enough, um, uh, uncertainty. <laughs> 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 I 
I well, no, all, all your current stuff is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, um, it's beautiful. But I am preparing for, for you to come on the show. I reviewed your um, I'd seen it, uh, I guess, a few months ago. But I think you had a YouTube uh, video where you it's like my shops and projects through the years. And I saw saw in there that uh, furniture piece that you made um, with dovetails and all that. And it's absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. It was definitely like where I started and the reason mm-hmm. I got into it. Um, even after making like the instrument and that first, you know, spoon carving, I thought that that was kind of the beginning and that it was launching me into furniture. And then once I got, you know, sometimes you have to do the wrong thing in order to find the right mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, it's deductive that way. And, and that's what happened where I went to furniture and was like, actually, I got just what I wanted and it's not what I wanted. Um, <laughs> let's go backwards yet forwards at the same time. Um, and I just started revisiting those organic forms and it's exactly where I needed to be. So tell us a little bit now, now you're teaching classes, correct? I, I am. Um, I actually Mm -hmm. have one at Lee Nielsen in what's today, Saturday. It's in a week. Um, and I don't have any more scheduled. Um, I've actually been dealing with a lot of health issues, even like in the past, I'd say like a good handful of years. Um, and I've sort of tapered off how much I travel. Mm-hmm. And, and in 2017, I had to stop traveling altogether, which is when I stopped working for Lee Nielsen. And that was the reason why. Um, and so that's been sort of dictating where I go and how I do it. I was able to do fine woodworking because I could travel there on my, you know, my own vehicle and mm-hmm. own space. And I, if, anyone has seen me at these shows or knows me other woodworkers. I always travel with my own food. Um, it, it got pretty hairy there for a while. Like I was, I was extremely ill mm. and, and that's kind of another thing that sort of dictated how and what I do. Um, even though it's extremely physical, there was like a lot of physical limitation in there. And I, I'm at the point where I'm starting to feel good enough. I don't quite trust it fully, but good enough where I'm thinking about, you know, getting on the horse again. But, um, but it's definitely a a gamble. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of interest, which is fantastic. Um, and I have yet to say yes to any of them. Um, and I, and a lot of people have been asking and it's hard when you know that there's that opportunity there for both me and other people. And I can't quite make it happen yet, but I'm hoping um, in 2020 to get some of those dates penciled back in. So mm-hmm. hopefully okay. yes, that will be true. So have you ever thought about doing something online? I have, I tried mm-hmm. to do, um, like a, like a Patreon kind of thing mm-hmm. just became too much, um, mm-hmm. in terms of post-production and things like that, where the learning curve was pretty steep for me. And, I'm not very technologically um, inclined. And also it just became a thing I realized I didn't want to do like in terms of right. <laughs> like I, I love teaching. Right. And it became way more about posting and editing. And, and that to me, I just, I just couldn't, mm-hmm. I realized it was cutting into other things that, that I was just doing day to day. And when that started to happen, it was, it was a really hard decision because again, I know that there's that, the want for it out there. People have expressed a lot of interest, um, mm. but I didn't make it happen. And I also felt like because 
those things were sort of um, battling against one another that I wasn't putting out what I wanted to, um, like in terms of like the quality that I felt like it could be. Um, mm. And so I stopped doing that and I had the YouTube videos started and I would like to continue with that. Um, but not until I'm at a place where I feel like I've hit my stride with other things and I can more fully um, or more consistently give the type of quality that I would like to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. So, so tell us, so right now, what's, what's your favorite project or things that you got coming up, things that kind of excite you to get up in the morning and get into the shop? It's um, sometimes it's really abstract. Like I can't say mm -hmm. that it's, <laughs> that it's like a definite thing. I actually, for a long time, I kept a, a chunk of clay by my bedside. Oh, I was about to say, is is it getting that clay and just molded it in, in, into something that you're not even, it comes together as you're molding it, so to speak. Exactly. Or yeah. uh, I'll have dreams, you know, I'll be mm -hmm. dreaming about it. And I remember this one time I woke up and I just started working the clay and I was like, I don't think what I saw is physically possible. Like it was one of those things <laughs> so far out there that I was like, and I was still in like half dream state being like, no, I, but I saw it, but I saw it. It's, it's completely possible. And then physically doing it, I was like, no, <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> like, um, and so sometimes it's just like a really raw form of being like, I think this is something I want to do. Um, a lot of times it has to do with texture. Um, surprise, surprise. And I don't even know what project it is. It's, it's like reverse engineering that far back where I say, oh, this is a texture I really love. What would that look good on? You know, and then like, how would I present that? And sometimes it goes, okay, texture, bowl form, this is the shape. Or like texture, this would be on a flat piece. I think I mm -hmm. could make a lot of it. You know, so it's like, it's uh, it's definitely a lot of reverse engineering, I feel yeah. like, in, unintentionally. Now, that brings me to, to one question I want to ask you is about the texture, especially of your creature bowls and stuff. I mean, that looks like just thousands and thousands of small, little, tiny <laughs> cuts. Yes. Uh, so all and of the, so even how I, long does that actually take? <laughs> I don't even. And when do you know when you're done? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't even count. I, I stopped counting how long things took me because it just. It also, because sometimes I have to, to, to differentiate the, the diff, like the things that I'm doing, I have to like really mix it up so that I don't get, I don't stress like tendons in certain parts of my body too much. So I'm always moving around. So it never quite made sense to like really keep track of time. And also I felt like it would have been completely defeating. <laughs> um, but it is thousands and thousands of cuts. And even the ones that I'm doing power carving on, they're always finished by hand. Right. Uh, unless there's some other texture I'm going for. It's no hard rule. And by no surprise, I don't really work in absolutes. So I almost always finish by hand just because it's the, the look that I like. Mm -hmm. And and also when I'm – there's like a – it's like I, I, I do a slow roll into the finish of every project because I feel like if I too decisively say, oh, this is done, I'm always going to find something else. So I tend to taper and I'll spend like a week taking like 20 minutes with every piece and, and looking at it. I mean, I must look crazy. I kind of want to get a video of it, of me just like doing laps around this thing around my bench and looking at it from different angles and like sitting down and, you know, and 
and just trying to catch it in the light in different ways and seeing like, no, this is good. Or no, I think I need to change this. Or what happens more often than not, I don't know. And so then Mm -hmm. I'll leave it again and then revisit it the next day. So it's always with fresh eyes. And if I can do that like three times in a row with saying like, no, this is good, then I know Mm -hmm. I'm done. I had about the textures um, and looking on, on your website, you've got a few past works that um, were available and there was one specifically, and I forget the name of it, but it, it was, the bottom was completely smooth. And then the interior had that chiseled texture look to it. Um, I think it was the high low bowl. I don't know how long ago you, you, you did that, but in, in that process, like you said, you don't know it's, it's, you have to come back to it every once in a while and it's hard to tell when you're actually finished with it. Is there a, is that somehow better than achieving a flat surface or, I mean, obviously it's what you're looking for and how you want to present the piece, but um, I guess like taking these relief cuts and relief cut and relief cut, but not actually meeting a common spot. Like how, how does that marry with, the, the alternative, which is to try to find a blended smooth surface. You mean like quite literally on the piece? Or? Yeah, like, 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 like <laughs> I mean, you, you, in that case, you literally worked the top and bottom of that piece in a completely different manner. It's, it's evident. You had to have in some way. Uh, like, that, like that was one of those ones I felt like I could do it because there was a clear space where that could be, there was like, like a line of demarcation, like right on the rim of that bowl. Whereas in other shapes that I've done, it's a little bit harder because there's so many other pieces kind of intersecting mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. it starts to look, it starts to lose that intention. Cause I feel like when it starts to lose that clear intention, it starts to get really muddy of like, is this a mistake or, yeah. you know? And so I try to work with that of like, with that intention in mind of like, because you need to know how people are also going to perceive it. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and it's so much easier to the eyes when people can understand, like, oh, yes, this was, this was meant to be like this. This is smooth and this is, you know, textured. Okay, I get it. Um, right. Whereas when it's not like that and there's a lot of intersecting points and then some of it's kind of textured and then it doesn't blend well or there isn't really a space to blend it or the blending just looks, again, like a mistake, it just sort of loses that, the poignancy, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the way that that piece is done, just from the, the the shots you have on your website, it's beautiful. And because of that, I think you have that clear line between the two. It's just it's it's cool to see, you know, you, the dy- dynamic in in your own work that you know you can you could in that case blend the the two together. Uh, I don't know. It's it's it just that really really caught me. It's very interesting. I mean, awesome. I think I think that the the, the chisel work that you do must, I mean, it would drive me nuts because I'm a pseudo perfectionist and, but, but what is, what's awesome with, with how you do it, you, you find a way to, if, and forgive me cause I'm a computer designer kind of guy. Um, but your reliefs can have different depths. They can go down, but the, the peaks form their own kind of surface in a uniform way and if you can tell that it's not like you dug a bunch out and then like try to smooth it over because you have flats on the top and you really don't it's it's a very delicate balance and you do it wonderfully (laughs) thank you it's definitely like it can be torturous at points because you just you're not you you can see it and know you're not quite hitting it and by you i mean me (laughs) Um, (laughs) like 
I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it and I know it's not right, but that's sometimes why pieces just take, I mean, I've had the high low bowl sat for months because I didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, and I didn't know what to do with that underneath. It was just like too large of like a swath of space where I felt like there wasn't enough interest happening and the way that the texture related, it seemed overwhelming. And so I just let it sit. And then finally I was like, you sand it. Like, of course that's what you do. You know? <laughs> and I think that's why like working in those absolutes sometimes, like I got caught up in, in the texture world. I love it. And sometimes I feel like in tradition, it's, you know, we, we think it has to come off of a specific tool. And I was like, of course it needs to be sanded. Like I didn't think of this cause I kind of got, I got, I got trapped a little bit in my own little narrative of like what that needed to be. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one thing that's interesting about, about these, these bowls you've been doing uh, recently is there's no right side up to them. They look great from, from upside down, right side up. If there is a, like I said, if there is a right side, it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And it's so funny cause that was definitely yeah. unintentional, but I think it's just cause how my brain works. Mm. Um, where it was like everything needs to look good, even if it's upside down, which you think about a bowl and you're like, but why would it be upside down? Um, I can't answer that, but <laughs> I just know that that I enjoy it, you know? And, um, and I, but I also think about, we don't see it with our eyes upside down, you know? Like there's no real reason that that would be doing it unless it was like drying on a dish rack or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you pick it up, your uh, your hands instantly know that something else is going on. Um, and I think that that brings in like this other dynamic of, you know, we're so, our hands are so well trained to feel those differences that when there's something else going on, we then want to bring it to our eyes. You know, it's like now you're exploring it in a different way that you've probably never done with a bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And also, I feel like it expands people's notion of, like, what is its function? And I think a lot of wooden bowls where you think salad, which if someone put a salad in any one of my bowls, I'd be like, great, like, fantastic. If someone filled it with yarn and, like, put it in the corner, I would be so happy with that. If someone did nothing with it but looked at it, I would be completely 100% elated. Um, And I think that all of those are a form of function. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's why I sort of allowed myself to explore all sides of it, because I can sort of understand all functions as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I would be remiss, um, as many listeners know, I'm a, I tend to gravitate towards finishes um, and always curious about them. So do you, uh, what do you use for a finish on these, on these uh, bowls? Um, I've used a, a few different things. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, for the lighter color bowls, I've been using hemp oil. Okay. It takes a really long time to cure in the way that I mm-hmm. want. Um, but in terms of coloration, it doesn't it doesn't affect the lighter woods, which I really enjoy because with linseed or tongue, even I'm getting a lot of yellowing. Right. I just really don't enjoy it. Um, it seems not to bother other people as much, but I haven't got enough feedback on that to really believe it. And my eyes tell me it's not good. So. Um, but if I'm going for something where it's a darker wood and, um, I'm probably going to use like, uh, I've been using the real milk paints, uh, half and half with the tongue mm-hmm. oil 
and the citrus solvent. And that's been fantastic. It cures really well. It, it beads water off really nicely. It's got a lot of longevity. Um, and I did used to use a lot of linseed oil, but again, with the yellowing, even on right. something like, you know, hairy. Yeah, because I was curious about that because your, your pieces, especially in these lighter colored woods, are so stark. So I was wondering what you were using, if it was maybe a water-based finish or something like that. But uh, hemp oil, huh? That's interesting. I'm, I'm open to, if someone wants to, hears this and wants to, like, write to me what they've been using, I'm so open to anything else. Um <laughs> Because I like it, but I'm not convinced. Um, and I've also gone with no finish on a couple right. pieces where I just like the way the wood looked. And I tell people, I'm like, this is an unfinished piece. You do whatever you want with it. Um, but just know that this is going to absorb whatever liquid you put down. So perhaps mm -hmm. a dry function would be suitable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because sometimes, to me, like the look of it, supersedes the function and i know that's blasphemous no no <laughs> but i mean it's, it's like <gasps> the collective gasp um <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes i'm like nope that's just how it needs to live and you know mm -hmm. out into the world and i find that most people are, are you know you let them know and it's fine mm -hmm. yeah i could imagine you know after several years or a a decade or two, the patina, something like that would develop, would be very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, depending on what's been put in it or around it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, now tell us, uh, before we get into our fortnightly beer choices, one final question. So, uh, like I said, um, in preparing for, for having you as a guest, I re-reviewed your, your video that was all about your work and your shops. So I know your shop is very important to us. So tell us a little bit about your shop. It's really not that large. It's mm -hmm. um, maybe like a, well, compared to, to other spaces I've occupied, it is. Maybe mm -hmm. at its longest, 20 by 10? Um, you'd think I'd be better at measuring, but perhaps that's why I don't need to be in furniture. <laughs> uh, and I have like two benches. One is my Lee Nielsen bench, which is my main bench. It's got a lot of weight. It's wonderful. It's definitely changed the game for me. Um, and then I have my other bench, which is sort of where I do my modeling and other tinkering, anything that has to do with metal or other weird non-wood you know, substances. Um, and then I have two big sort of on wheels workbenches, which is where oddly, not oddly, um, everything else goes. <laughs> like it's just like <laughs> the flat space that attracts everything. Um, but also assembling and sort of where I put things. When I say that I look at things a long time before I finish them, if I just put them on that, then it gives me a chance to always have my eyeballs on them if I'm walking by or um, just being in the shop. Um, it just always keeps them sort of on, you know, in my mind. Um, and where I've been doing a lot of like the carving for the, the wall art, the wall panels. Um, and then I have some other, you know, I have, um, I do have a planer and a jointer and a chop saw. Um, mm -hmm. I have a table saw, which I got rid of cause I just, I just never used it. Um, 
that's back when I thought I was going to be doing more furniture things. Right. And so now that I'm doing the sort of wall panels, the jointer and the planer has been, you know, immensely helpful. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a combination of a lot of things and it's always evolving because I'm always kind of using different tools and bringing new ones in and, and sort of getting rid of some of them that I find that I'm not really using anymore. And, and then of course I have my, my tool wall that's up above my modeling bench and, and that's all my gouges, all my hand right. tools and sort of like the rando things that I've collected. Um, and I really, it, it helps so much. I, you know, it reached that sort of the breaking point of me putting really valuable edges in precarious positions <laughs> <laughs> and with a lot of sharpening and being like, why am I being this stupid? <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I could figure out other things and yet I've not figured out that I just need to put these in like a better storage spot. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just like bit the bullet, reorganized some stuff and, and built that tool wall. And it's been so absolutely wonderful. Not only is like it's function of keeping my tools safe, but also when I walk in, it just feels good. You know, I see it, Right. And I look at it and it's just it, that's how I want to start the day is like just feeling that feeling of when I look at that tool wall. Yeah, that's that's great. And you do have a, a couple of videos on YouTube uh, about that tool wall. So uh, <laughs> encourage our listeners to go out there and review it because it, it, it's kind of unique. Uh, you've seen a lot of tool walls, but you have not seen a tool wall till you've seen uh, Danielle's <laughs> tool wall. <laughs> it's so funny because I did the same thing like I do with any of my other work where I put the wall up and then I just looked at it and I was like, this isn't done. <laughs> like, <laughs> this isn't done. And then I went to the hardware store in town and asked them to mix me all these different colors and they're like, that pink color that's up there, they're like, this is this is the one you want? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's uh, move on into our um, Fort Morningly um, drink choices. Fortnite is a, is a space and time, not a time of day. So it's well, still Fortnite. Fortnitely drink choices in the morning. Yes. Yeah. In the morning. In the morning. So, uh, so since it's in the morning, I'm going to offer up mimosa and coffee. That sounds like retirement to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Uh -huh. uh -huh. But I'll follow, I'll follow you up, and uh, I'll, I'll go with a post-run cup of black coffee. Just hot black coffee. Hot Delicious. black coffee. Hot black coffee. Wow. I'm, I, I think I might be the youngest one here, but I'm going to go with, like, the most retiree-sounding thing, um, <laughs> which is I don't drink coffee and i and i don't actually drink alcohol either um yeah. i just pretty much drink water it's that boring no that's good good for you that's good that's good any any special uh brands or flavors <laughs> yeah. of water straight out of my tap we have a well and it's like oh well water nice and it's just it's it's we have a great filter coming in right off of it can't say enough about that filter um and uh yeah, and I really I just like I drink like a gallon of water a day, and because of all this health stuff, I kind of I had to really pay attention to to what I was putting in there, and so I never drank coffee anyway though, so that was the easy one. I didn't have to give yeah. it up. But I I do like some wine and I do like some cocktails, though I do not like beer, and I never have. That's odd. I found. Ah, I, 
I can I, I can understand beer is definitely an acquired taste. That is Unfortunately, I... I've acquired the taste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll say the same. <laughs> I acquired the taste for coffee in high school and beer not that long after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love the smell of coffee. Like, yeah. oh, like that's enough to wake me up. It sounds like so like straight edge. Like only the smell is enough, and, but it really is. Like. I can just walk into a Starbucks and be like, I'm good to go. Like, <laughs> just through osmosis. You just, yeah, that's all I need. Fairly energetic without it. So that might be the reason why I can't do it. It's not that I don't like the taste. It just makes me feel like hell. Like it's just, I, it's just because mm. I'm too far into the abyss. Like I'm just, I'm already there. Like I don't need to go any more amped up than I already am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, yeah. well, I hear you. I understand completely. So, uh, well, maybe I wish I understood completely. <laughs> but um, with that said, so um, Danielle, where can people find you on the interwebs? The interwebs. My website is Danielle Rose Bird. That's b y r d dot com, um, and that's sort of just like the general gist of it. And then more of my presence, like many people these days, is on Instagram. And that's um, Danielle underscore Rose underscore Bird. Okay, great. So, Sean, where can folks find you? Um, per usual, I'm at SeanW78 on most every social media. Find me there. Kyle? And you can always find me at Barton.Kyle on Instagram, the only social media platform that matters. And with that, that just about wraps it up for this show. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Then you'll never miss any of our exciting episodes. And while you're there, leave us a review. Thank you for listening to the Modern Woodworkers Association. If you like the show, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com. You can follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national or on Instagram, the only social media that matters, at MWA underscore podcast. Or you can like the MWA on Facebook. The best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion.